0: Hey, I wanted to tell you about a trip uh, that I was able to take since I was last here. I think I was with you back in January, uh, and the first of February, I was able to take a trip that I think is going to be a uh, well it 's big news for Genesis Church. I went with a group of pastors to Albania uh, for eight days if you don 't know where Albania is, Albania is in the Balkans uh, near Serbia and Croatia and Greece and Macedonia and uh, We went and spent a week uh, a few pastors and I in the city of Tirana, the capital city there and uh, Albania really is a beautiful country, a, a fascinating place, and just to kind of give you an idea of the culture uh, of uh, Albania or of Tirana, I'll show you a picture of downtown Tirana. I want you to see a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, uh, Albania went communist immediately following World War II, and while they were never occupied by the Soviet Union, uh, they were a very strict communist nation. They pronounced themselves as an atheist uh, nation back in the 40s and continued that way for about 40 years until communism uh, in the late 80s. Today uh, it is a country that still in very many ways is spiritually dead, uh, but you can see the possibilities there. You can see the work of the Lord there. Today uh, 70 to 75% of the country, uh, people in Albania would say that they're Muslim. Uh, 25% would say that they're Catholic or a part of the Orthodox Church, uh, even though they may never attend mosque or attend uh, a service uh, there, but uh, and 0.3% as evangelical Christian All right less than one half of one percent of the country is evangelical Christian, uh, but again, some fascinating things that are happening there as uh, the gospel message takes hold. Um, we were able to visit uh, this amphitheater, this two thousand year old Roman amphitheater uh, in the city of duros and what i didn 't realize is that it's very likely that the Apostle Paul traveled through this location because there's a popular Roman road that went right through there, and so much of the activity from Rome uh, all the way down through Greece and eventually into Israel. It came through uh, this particular location. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about taking the gospel message to Illyricum, which is the ancient name for uh, the country of Albania. And so that was pretty uh, fascinating for me. But here's my team. Uh, I traveled with these three guys. Eric Metcalf is front left. He's a pastor in downtown uh, Chicago, works with Community Christian Church. Uh, The guy in the back who looks like he maybe doesn't want his picture taken uh, is a guy by the name of Joe Wilson. Joe helped plant Churches in Belarus uh, and and in Siberia for ten years. He lived in those locations. Today he lives in Atlanta, and he's got an organization called New Churches Now, and they're all about helping to plant churches uh, in Eastern Europe, in these former communist countries, uh, and in uh, Russia too. The guy on the right is a guy by the name of Lauren. Uh, he's from Atlanta as well. But here's a church service uh, that we attended. A church called ICF International Christian Fellowship. ICF Tirana is one of the largest churches, evangelical churches uh, in Albania right now, in Tirana. It's only two years old. They're reaching 200 people. And I got to tell you that there is so much enthusiasm, so much excitement there. We went there to their Sunday night services. I had the opportunity uh, to preach there. And again, there are just fascinating things happening as all of these young people are packing in and, and really rejecting their past and, and this atheist sort of belief and really embracing the gospel message and seeing the possibilities of what could happen in the future. It really, was uh, an overwhelming experience for me. I had the opportunity to spend the whole week with this guy, uh, a guy by the name of Teen. He's the lead pastor for ICF Tirana, again, this church. Uh, and I don't think I mentioned they have two locations, uh, but Teen has a great big vision uh, for not only spreading the gospel in Tirana, uh, but also in Albania. And he really believes that their church can make a difference all throughout the Balkans uh, in sharing the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity on several occasions to sit and. Just listen to him share his vision of what could be and the possibilities. And I have to tell you that as I went, I was also praying, you know, Lord, do you have something in mind for Genesis Church? Uh, is there a reason why you're taking me to Albania and is there a possibility that we might be able to latch on and get involved here? And I got to tell you that as I listened to Altine's vision and as I got to know him over the course of the week uh, and as I kept praying, I just really believe the Lord was opening my heart uh, to the possibilities of even how we, Genesis Church, could help support them in their work. And so I had the opportunity on the last day to ask him, you know, what is one thing you would love to do? One thing that you think could just propel your mission and really move you guys forward and and help your church make an even greater difference in the near future right here in Tehran. And he told me about a guy by the name of Mariol. Uh, Mariol's here. uh, He's on the right. Mariol's their worship pastor. Uh, Mariol's a big reason why people are coming. Uh, He's very talented, very gifted, and very passionate. He's got a lot of young men on his team that didn't know the Lord when they came into his band, but now know the Lord and are helping to proclaim worship uh, at their Sunday night services. And, and, And the big need right now, for this church is that Mario has been working for free. And even though he's a husband and he's a father, he's been playing at pubs and and bars and and nightclubs to make money so that he can serve full time for this church. And one of their biggest fears is that they're going to lose him because he's just really having a difficult time supporting his family. So I asked. I just said, okay, if that's your greatest need, what would it take to bring Mariole on full-time staff? And he said, well, you know what? About $700 a month. Uh, For about $700 a month, he could come on full-time staff, and we really believe that this will just propel us as we move forward in uh, helping people find their way back to God. And you know what I said to him? I said, How about Genesis gets that? And uh, I'm just excited uh, to report to you that we've made a commitment to ICF Tirana. And because of it, there's a young man who, well, there's a six-hour time difference. Again, they have Sunday night services. Is probably uh, warming up his band uh, right now, getting ready to reach even more people. And you're helping to make that possible. And I just wanted you uh, to know that uh, this morning as we get started. So, um, can we pray? Can we pray for Mariol and Alteen and ICF Toronto as we get started today? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you Lord, how you are as the unstoppable God are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ around the world and how Genesis church gets to be a part of it. Uh, that we are getting to, f- we, 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 get to help find people or help people find their way back to God here. Uh, but how you're opening doors, uh, around Indianapolis through food bags and, uh, through new partnerships, uh, in places like Albania, thank you for Mariol and for his patience and his faith to wait on you, Lord. Thank you for how you're using Alteen and ICF Tirana to, to spread the gospel throughout Albania right now. Thank you, Lord, for each person in this room and for their faith and their gifts and their sacrifice and how it's making all the difference, not only here, but around the world, too. We thank you and we praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Well, hey, if you've got a Bible with you today, uh, or if you use something like a Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 9 with us. We're in the last two weeks of a series that we've been in, a series called Through the Lens, uh, where we've been looking at seven miracles uh, performed by Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we're studying these miracles so that we can better get to know God, uh, to understand what he is like. And one of the best ways of doing that is to look to Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, today's miracle, uh, like the others that we've looked at and studied so far, gives us the chance to really zoom in and get a picture, a better picture of what our God is like. Now here's my hope uh, for us today, and if you've got notes with you and if you're following along uh, with them, I am praying this. I've been praying this uh, this week and was praying it again this morning. I'm praying that God will open our eyes to see that because of what Christ has done for us uh, in Jesus Christ, that we have nothing to fear and that we can boldly proclaim his love to others. Will you say that with me? Let's say it together. Because of what Christ has done in us, we have nothing to fear and we can boldly proclaim his love to others. Let's uh, look at John chapter 9, starting in verse 1 as we look at uh, this story, this account, another miracle uh, in the life of Jesus. First one goes, as he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man was or his parents that he was born blind. Now, in ancient cultures, much like today, the blind had no choice uh, but to stand uh, on the side of a busy road and beg. But and before you and I, before we give the disciples a hard time for asking uh, such an insensitive question, let's realize that in this culture, everyone believed that a disability like this was punishment uh, for sin. I mean, it's how they were taught; it's how they were they were raised, and that's why the disciples asked, "Who sinned?" All right, they asked Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault was it? Was it this man or his parents? And so the disciples, when you think about it, the disciples were so focused on the cause of this man's blindness. But here's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus wants to get them thinking about how God is going to use it. All right, and what he wants to do through this man's life. Verse 3, Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus said, hey, you guys are so focused on the cause of this man's blindness. What I want to get you doing is I want to get you thinking about how God is going to use and can use this man's life. The fact is that this man was born into a broken world. Uh, We've talked about that a little bit here. He was born into a broken world, just like every one of us is born into a broken world. And so that just means for you and me that if you've ever struggled with why... Uh, If you've ever cried out why, I realize that Jesus' answer may or may not satisfy you. But the truth is, uh, the truth is for us that if you go through life trying to make sense of every single circumstance, searching for an answer to every single crisis, it will be very frustrating uh, for you. We live in a broken world. Uh, We live in a broken world, a world where every good behavior is not always rewarded, and every bad behavior is not always uh, punished. Uh, And and that just means, unfortunately, that means that that the innocent will suffer. Uh, Some of you have suffered, uh, and for no reason. Uh, People we love will die. Uh, Some in your life and in my life will encounter sickness. Marriages come to an end, but regardless of the reason, regardless of the suffering, here is what you and I have to learn to see. We have to learn to see that God can help. He desperately wants to help. We can count on his faithfulness and his help in all things. And he's got the power to help you through. He has the ability to help you through. He is more than able uh, to do immeasurably more in my life, in your life, as we trust him uh, and as we lean on him for all things. And with this blind man, God is going to bring glory to himself and to his name by healing him just as he brought glory to himself through the death of Jesus And if you let him, uh, just as he wants to bring glory through your life. Um, I don't know if you realize that or not. I hope you realize that. If not, I hope you hear that today, that God wants to bring glory to himself through your life and the way you live and the way that you trust him and the way that you treat and serve others and through your generosity and through your faithfulness. Uh, He wants to use you so that others can find their way back to God too. Look at verse 4. Uh, Jesus replied to him, he says, as long, he's speaking to his disciples now, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus said, night is coming when no one can work. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so look at Jesus just teaching his disciples here. Uh, Even as they go, even as they encounter this man, he tells them, we must do God's work. We must be obedient to the work that God has called us to. And you know what? That's your purpose. And that's my purpose. Uh, That's the purpose of Genesis Carmel, to do the work that God has called us to do. Now Jesus says night is coming, which is a reminder to us that we only have so much time, uh, that we only have so much time. You and I only get so much time uh, to invest in our kids. Uh, You only get so much time to invest in your neighbors and uh, your siblings and, and with your friends. And uh, who, who do we want to share? I mean, what's the message we want to proclaim? We want to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, that he is our hope and the hope uh, for us. Verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, and then in parentheses, we get a little footnote. This word means scent. We'll talk about why that's important in just a moment. And so it says, so the man man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, let's just go ahead and acknowledge that this is a little strange, all right, maybe even a little gross. I mean, why in the world did Jesus have to hock a loogie, you know, in the dust uh, at this moment? What, what's he doing with this? Well... Uh, uh, one suggestion is that from antiqu- antiquity, uh, it was believed that saliva had these medicinal uh, sort of purposes, but any good Jew would have been suspicious uh, of this form of treatment because it was typically associated uh, with magical arts. Now, before we go thinking, though, that Jesus was dabbling in magic, he wasn't, all right? I think Jesus liked to mess with people, all right? And he's doing this work, as we're going to see on the Sabbath in just a moment, which is going to irritate the Pharisees. And so there's a little bit of that going on, again, as he's messing with those that are watching or are going to hear of this miracle, but I think there's a better answer. Again, why did Jesus spit in the mud, put this dirt together, put it on the man's eyes, and then send him away? Well, I think the answer is right here in verse 7, and what Jesus tells this man to do next when he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, don't miss this. The man is still blind. All right, as far as we can tell, the, the miracle hasn't taken place yet. He hasn't been healed, and so he's got mud in his eyes, and now Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam to wash, but why? I mean, why didn't Jesus just heal this guy? I mean, why didn't he just wave his hands or say some magical word and, and heal him in the moment? Why the mud? I mean, why make him find his way to this pool of Siloam, this word which means sent, all right? That's how the people would have seen it, as a sending place. Here's what I think. I think, first of all, I think it's another example of faith before the miracle. And we've talked about that. We've seen that over and over in each of the miracles that we've studied so far. It's faith preceding the miracle. I think it's an example of obedience, too. And at the same time, I think what Jesus was doing is I think Jesus was giving this man a new mission I think he was redefining his life for him. Not only was he going to open his eyes physically, but he was going to open his eyes in a spiritual way, a purposeful sort of way. I mean, this man, for this man, he knew and he would realize that he was being sent now by Jesus and by God to show the glory and to proclaim the glory of God in his life. This healing would be a part of this man's story for the rest of his life. And we're going to see just a little bit of how this is going to play out for him in just a minute. And so uh, from the story, the man goes, he does just as Jesus instructed him. And for the first time in his life, you know what? He can see. God opens his eyes so that he can see. And just, just try and imagine for a moment what that was like for him. I mean, imagine you being born blind and, you know, maybe the man was 20, maybe he was 25, maybe he was 30 years of age, he's never seen a thing. And so for the first time in his life, in an instant, all right, all of a sudden the sky is revealed to him and the sun and and colors for the very first time. I mean, imagine him looking his parents in the face for the very first time and all of a sudden piecing what he's ever thought or believed all together in that moment. And now, do you expect that he's going to go on with his life and keep this news quiet? I mean, could you? Would you be able to hold something in like this? Well, these next few verses explain how he's out telling everyone that he can find what has happened to him. Let's skip over to verse 13. And watch what happens next. Now, this is the part of the movie where it gets suspenseful, all right, where you can kind of hear the music change and it starts to get a little dark. Again, the story is changing because here come the Pharisees and they're the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day, and they've grown to hate Jesus. But look at what happens in verse 13. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man, evidently a group of people, maybe the neighbors that heard this story and all of a sudden are trying to piece these uh, bits of information together. They take this man to to the Pharisees, again, this man who had been blind, all right, because it's past tense now, verse 14, it says, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, all right, and that's going to be a problem for some people. Uh, Verse 15, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. Here's what he replied, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep The Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Um, This guy can't win. All right, as he goes before the Pharisees. I mean, he was blind from birth. Now he can see. And what are the Pharisees hung up about? They're hung up by the fact they're more concerned that Jesus broke one or a couple of these Sabbath rules. That he got down in the dirt and he worked on the Sabbath. That he performed a healing on the Sabbath. They were upset about these rules. And Sabbath means rest. All right, and so if I'm honest, I I get a little bit uh, why they are upset. I mean, when my kids were really young, all right, they were supposed to take naps in the afternoon, right? I mean, any any parents here of young kids? I mean, you you kind of have an expectation. There are some rules in your home that you expect that in the afternoon, if you've got a one year old, a two year old, or a three year old, you're expecting that they'll take a nap. Now. have you ever had one of those days when you know that your kid, more than anything, needs a nap, but they decide for whatever reason to violate uh, the Sabbath, the nap time rule in your home, all right? And it kind of drives you crazy, all right? It's, it's almost like, you know, they, they know they're tired, but they decide in the moment, you know what, I feel like whining today, all right? I, even though I'm tired, you know, I, I'd rather drive my parents crazy for the rest of the day. I mean, you can relate, right? If you're a parent, I mean, for some of you, even as I'm talking about this right now, you're getting anxious, all right? Because you're thinking, I really want my kid to take a nap today. I mean, more than anything, you know that you need a break this afternoon. And so you're hoping that your kid uh, will take a nap. And that's why I want you to know that we're going to have a prayer time at the end of the service. For any parents with young kids, we'll pray over your kids, hoping uh, that they don't violate the Sabbath nap time rule uh, in your home. Well, the Pharisees are upset about this. They're upset that Jesus violated these Sabbath rules. They can't see the beauty of what's happened in this man's life. Look at verse 17. It says, then they turned again to the blind. Man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. Now, this man doesn't really know Jesus. Uh, Maybe he's heard about him. He probably hasn't put the pieces together yet of who this man really is, and so he chooses the highest word that he could think of. A compliment of sorts. He calls Jesus uh, a prophet. Uh, it says, they still did not believe uh, that he had been, b- been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They asked him, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Uh, they said, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone that acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he is of age, asked him. See, his parents were afraid. Right, and That just kind of gives you an idea of the intimidation that took place whenever you went uh, before the Pharisees. And, and, and they were afraid, and it wasn't because they didn't believe their son, they were afraid of these Pharisees, and they were afraid of what the Pharisees might do to them. Now, the Greek word uh, for this phrase, put out of the synagogue, is apo synagogos genitai. It means to be put out of, to be excommunicated, to be expelled from the synagogue, to be expelled from the faith. I mean, the Pharisees had started to do this to anyone, all right, that that was proclaiming Jesus, that was talking about Jesus, who was putting their faith in Jesus. And so they were afraid in that moment. And I want to just stop there for a second and just ask you, you know, as you think about your life and uh, as you think about going through your day and the people that you encounter and the conversations that you have, can you relate with that kind of fear at all? That kind of fear of talking about Jesus? I mean, have you ever found yourself in a conversation at work or at school or with family members And you know the answer is Jesus. Like you really want to share your faith and talk about all the difference that Jesus has made for you. But you're afraid of how your answer might come across. Or how your answer is going to emotionally maybe affect someone else. How they're going to react. I mean the truth is that we live in a culture today that is increasingly disinterested uh, in Christianity. But not only that. I mean really kind of adamantly opposed to Christianity. And I think we sense that. Um, I sense that a little bit. For example... We've got some neighbors, uh, some neighbors that we love, uh, neighbors that don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we're investing in them and we're spending time with them and just love doing life with them, but it's hard to know when to turn that corner in the relationship. Uh, It's hard to know when it's appropriate and okay to start talking about Jesus. Uh, My wife uh, volunteers in our kids' classrooms uh, at school every week, and she was volunteering in one of our kids' classes the other day. Uh, She was talking with a teacher, and the teacher was just opening up about how difficult and challenging of a year uh, it has been and how how tough it's been on her family. And Jenny just shared with me later, she just said, you know, what's appropriate in that moment? I mean, how do you know when it's okay uh, to change the conversation to Jesus? Uh, Do you get that? I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard. It's hard for me. Uh, Maybe it's hard for you. I mean, it's tough trying to balance uh, that sensitivity uh, to your friends and coworkers. And when you're really trying to establish the relationship and really create some mutual respect for one another. And so you find yourself asking, okay, when's it appropriate, though? When's it appropriate to share my faith? When's it okay to bring up Jesus? I mean, I struggle with these questions. Again, maybe some of you struggle with these questions. Uh, We're going to talk about this a little bit more in May uh, with a series where we're just going to specifically talk about what it means to live on mission and uh, with the people around you and what it means to love the people that you live around and how to talk about Jesus. Because here's why this is important. It's not enough for us as a church to just love people, as important as that is. What did Jesus say? Love God and love others, the greatest commandment. And so we know that loving others and serving others is a big part of our mission and what we're called to as followers of Jesus. But I also believe, and I believe the scripture teaches for us, that when the time is right, we have to be ready and willing to talk about Jesus too. I mean, following Jesus means talking and telling others about Jesus too and what he's done for us and the difference that he can make. Jesus said it like this. In Matthew 10, verses uh, 28, he said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then if you skip over to verse 32, he says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Here's what I think Jesus would say to us today. Here's what I think Jesus would say to me if you he were here today. he would say, Paul, why are you so afraid of rejection? Why are you so afraid of rejection? I mean, what difference does rejection make when we're talking about salvation for someone versus eternal separation from God and hell? Don't be afraid of rejection. You know We can't be afraid of rejection. We need to get excited about what God has done in us and what he has done for us, always ready to share with others what Jesus Christ has done in my life and what he has done and what he's doing in your life. We don't have to be afraid. And and I know that we really put ourselves out there when we get out with friends and we get out with those that we love who maybe don't have a relationship with the Lord or who are maybe opposed to the thought of a relationship with Jesus or to the church. We put ourselves out there when we speak out in faith and in love, and with compassion, but what do we have to fear? I mean, really, when you think about it, Uh, And so maybe for you, maybe for us, maybe an easier place for you right now, especially if you're new to all of this, is to begin uh, telling people about your church. And, you know, we've got a great opportunity coming up in a few weeks with our Easter services here. And while, you know, throughout the year, you've got some friends that maybe would more likely say no uh, to an invitation to come to a service, we know that around Easter time, people are more likely to say yes to an invitation. And so that's why we've provided these invite cards that you can take and I can have and we can pass these out as we go and uh, we can use them to help start a conversation or maybe by bringing your friend and attending a service together it'll create a conversation for you afterwards to open up and to share a little bit more not only about your church but what about Jesus Christ is doing in your life see we don't have to be afraid and this mom and dad here in this story they were afraid and maybe for good reason but guess who isn't afraid this formerly blind man isn't going to shut up, all right? Jesus has changed his life, and look at what happens next. Verse 24, it says, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man. They're talking about Jesus is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. See, this feeling Like, you have to know the answer to every potential or any potential question about the Bible. Are you like me? Does that ever make you afraid to want to share your faith or to have a spiritual conversation with someone else? Well, notice what this man is doing. He's basically saying, I don't know the answers to all of your questions, but one thing I know is this. This morning, I was blind. This afternoon, now I see. And no one could argue with him. No one could argue this fact. And you know what? That's the truth. That's the truth for you and me. The truth is that you and I, we don't have to know the answer to every difficult question. But do you know what? No one can argue what Jesus has done for you. No one can argue that story. No one can argue that... That word that you share, that story that you tell, no one can deny what he has done in your life. See, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've tr- crossed the line from death to life, you are forgiven. And that just means that your, your past no longer rules over you. And I hope that you know that. And I hope that you believe that and that you're celebrating that with the way that you live your life. Your, your sins and your faults from the past and the present and the future have no claim over your life anymore. You were, like me, once blind. But now you see, by Jesus Christ, you can say that you are alive in Jesus Christ today because of what he's done for you. I uh, baptized a guy last weekend over at our Noblesville campus, a guy by the name of Matt. And uh, he's a husband and a father of three. And uh, we shared his story as a part of baptism, much like you were sharing stories here. And I was talking to him afterwards and just asked him, you know, hey, what what was it like for you? And he got emotional as he described. He says, you know, hey, you know what was the most emotional for me, Matt said? He said, when I heard them reading my story. And he says, and I don't know why it made me so emotional. He goes, you know, I, I wrote it, all right? I know what it said. And, and I, I put those words on the paper. But as he says, as I stood there, and as I listened to my story being told, it just really impacted me at that moment as I truly realized what it is that Jesus Christ has done for me and how my life will never again ever be the same because of the work of Christ in my life. See, here's the truth for us. You don't have to be a theologian. Uh, you don't have to be a Bible, uh, to have a Bible degree to talk about your faith. Just focus your life on telling your story and the story of what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he is doing for you and talk to people about how he's changed in your life and how you will never again be the same. And God can use that. And he can bring glory to himself and he can change lives through that. And that's what this man is doing. Look at verse 26, it says, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he he open your eyes? Now, remember that they had already asked him this, and so they're just asking the same question over and over again. Verse 27, he answered them, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, anyone here have a mouth that ever gets you into trouble? Maybe you choose sarcasm at the uh, wrong time. Thanks, Randy, all right? We all, maybe, especially men, maybe we've got some issues with that from time to time. I'm guessing this guy maybe had a little bit of a mouth, that got him into trouble from time to time. And these Pharisees have the authority to kill him, but he doesn't care. Look at verse 28 as we finish up. It says, Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered them. Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. But you know what? He was never again the same. And his life, we have to assume a little bit, And we'll meet him in heaven one day, and so we get the chance to hear the rest of his story. But I'm only hoping and assuming that it was full of courage and full of boldness. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Again, he woke up blind, and by the end of the day, he could see. He had this encounter with Jesus, and now he can see all of these new things, and everything changed for him. I mean, how could he deny what happened? How could he hold that in? I'm guessing he spent the rest of his life telling that story for others to see, and to hear, I had the chance to meet some fascinating people when I was Albanian, just hear a little bit of their story of what Christ has done for them. I met this one couple, uh, Gerty on the right and Blerina, uh, his wife on the left. I sat and had lunch with them one day at this uh, conference uh, that we were helping to present at, and it was just fascinating to hear both of their stories, but especially Blerina. Uh, Blerina grew up Muslim. And uh, it was later uh, in her teens, around her 20s, that she came to faith in Christ. And now she and her husband uh, full-time are sharing the, their stories, telling the, the gospel of Jesus, the good news with others around them. And I, I just asked her, and she spoke She spoke great English. I said, that, that must be really challenging for you. Has it been really hard for your family uh, to accept that? And she says, oh, no, no. She says, my whole family has come to know Christ. And she went on to tell me how her great-great-great-grandfather was an imam in the Muslim faith. But somewhere along the way, someone in her family encountered the gospel message, the message that you don't have to earn your way to heaven to earn your way to paradise. But what Jesus does for us is he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And this one person in her family was changed. And now her entire family has come to know Christ. And so Fliberina, she came can't help now, but go all throughout Tirana and wherever the Lord takes her to tell her story of the hope and the new sight and eyes that she has because of what Jesus Christ has done for her. Um, Genesis, uh, God wants to tell your story. Uh, He wants you to tell your story and you may not have all of the answers, but here's what you know. Uh, If you're in Christ, you were blind, but now you see. Uh, You were dead in your sins, but now we are alive in Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ has done for us, uh, we have nothing to fear. And what he wants us to do is to boldly proclaim in love and with compassion the message of Jesus Christ with others. You know, for some of you, he's done more than just heal you of your sins. Uh, He's done even more in your life. He saved your marriage. Uh, he He has brought you freedom. He's healed you from an addiction. Uh, Maybe he's given you purpose now and new eyes to see new things and new possibilities. He's removed the power and influence that your past formerly had over you. And instead of seeing the past, you see what's ahead. Friends, Genesis, you've got a story to tell. It's a phenomenal story to tell. And people in your life need to hear it because of what Christ has done for you. You've got nothing to fear. And you can boldly proclaim his love to others. Let's take that to the Lord and ask him to give us the strength and faith to do that. Father in heaven. We pray uh, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to tell our stories of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And for some here today, that may mean that you need to open up our hearts, Lord, and open up our minds again to see the power and the truth of salvation, that we were once dead, but now we were alive. We were once blind, but now we see. Help us to tell that with love and compassion and enthusiasm to those people around us, Lord. And we pray that, for the friends and family members, the people that you put in our lives to hear that story, that you would open up their ears and their hearts to not only see, but to believe. And um, I know, Lord, that that might mean something very special even for someone here today that has never trusted you with their life, Lord. Maybe you're you're gonna use today to open up their heart to receive Christ. And if that's you, you can invite him in. Even right now where you are, even right now where you sit, you can just pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord, give me sight. Give me the ability to see. You can pray those words. And if you pray those words, Jesus will come in. He will come in and you'll never be the same. God, we thank you. We thank you for how you're working through this church. We pray for you that your great love for us would just overflow in everything that we do as we help people find their way back to God in this community and around the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.